Good morning, everybody. It is so good to what sweet songs we sang this morning and what what a great reminder of the awesome truths that hold our souls. Uh, If you can, uh, if you've got your Bible, please turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90, and uh, we are also going to have the verses up on the screen for you to read along. I mentioned last week the Psalms are broken down into five books, and um, Psalm 90 is the first book of book or first uh, song of book four. And um, some have broken these uh, books down into themes. The theme of book two that we looked at last week is God before us. The theme of book four could be stated as God above us. And so Psalm 90 certainly does give us this sense of God's greatness above us. God above us. Um, So I had planned Psalm 90 for us for several weeks now, but um, with our brother Mike uh, suffering a heart attack, serious heart attack, uh, just last Monday, um, I think this chapter, this, this psalm, takes on a, a soberness and also a sweetness and certainly a relevance to our souls. Um, so as we pray, let's begin by praying and let's also lift up again Mike and Terry to the Lord as we pray together. Um, Father, we just thank you for uh, your faithfulness, Lord. We thank you as we sang that you will hold us fast, Lord. Lord, Christ is our hope in life and death, Lord. What an awesome thing that we have this anchor, this awesome hope that tethers us to Christ and to eternal life through faith in Christ that nothing, including death, can break. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you will speak to our hearts. You will encourage us. I pray that you will enlighten us in the glory of our God. And also humble us, Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, we uh, pray for Mike and Terry. We pray for your continued touch upon Mike. Thank you that he's made such good progress. Lord, we pray for continued progress. We pray that, Lord, every day he will grow stronger. Lord, we pray that um, you will give the doctors and the nurses continued wisdom in caring for him. Uh, Lord, we know you hold his life in your hands. We pray that, God, you would continue to give him uh, life. We pray you restore him to full health. Lord, we know he is ready to be with you, Lord, but... uh, But you know, Lord God, that his loved ones and we as his church family are not ready to let him go if possible. So, Father, we just pray for extension and for recovery for our dear brother. We pray for peace for Terry and her son and the rest of their family, that you will just meet them with peace. Uh, God, that your spirit will lift them up and comfort them and strengthen them and give them continued hope in Christ. We thank you for all this, Lord. Our hearts want to hear from your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read through this entire psalm, and then we're going to kind of work through it 
in three different sections. This is one of my favorite psalms. It is a beautiful psalm. The only psalm written by Moses, by the way. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or is a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. It flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yea, yes, establish the work of our hands. Swedish engineer and inventor Alfred Nobel had the unusual opportunity of reading his own obituary. Nobel invented dynamite. He also cultivated and developed many different forms of explosives. And a lot of these explosives uh, made him a very rich man as he sold them to governments who then used them as military weapons. When Alfred's brother Ludwig passed away, many newspapers erroneously put Alfred's obituary in their headlines. And Alfred was horrified to read headlines that read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. One obituary wrote that the man who became very wealthy um, finding new ways to kill more people faster than ever. He saw that this was his legacy. He got to see what he was leaving behind him, that he was going to be known as someone who left death behind him. And so he determined to try to change his legacy. And that's when he developed and endowed the Nobel Peace Prize, a, a an award given to those who in some way benefit 
humanity and further peace. Now, most of us will never have the opportunity to read our own obituary and still have time to do something about it to change it. But Psalm 90 offers us something that's better, I think, than that opportunity. And it is, it offers us wisdom. It offers us wisdom. Teach us, verse 12 says, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of living well. Wisdom is not a lot of intelligence. It's not having intelligence or lack of intelligence. It's not being super smart. Wisdom is that skill of living well. A well-crafted life. And Moses connects that to numbering our days. And so I want to share just a few ways from these passages that numbering our days helps us to get a heart of wisdom. Because it's not just a a mathematical numbering. There is something to numbering our days that, that gives us a sense of span, sense of proportion, a biblical perspective on life that when we see the big picture, it helps us to actually live more wisely. So let's begin with this. Number of our days reminds us that God is everlasting and we are dust. Let's read the first six verses again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. All that God is, He is infinitely. Infinite is bigger than big. Infinite is infinite. His wisdom is infinite. His power is infinite. His righteousness is infinite. All that He is is infinite. But Moses focuses in on one aspect of God's infiniteness. And that is His infinite existence. God has always existed. Before the mountains were formed, before the earth was formed, you from everlasting, Moses says, to everlasting, you are God. From one end of everlasting to the other end of everlasting, you are God. Now, I've said this before, but I have a much harder time wrapping my head around God always existing than I do wrapping my head around Him always going to exist. Like, I can there's some way that I can kind of conceive of God always existing forever and ever into the future because it's kind of like existence now, just forever. But I cannot conceive of a being that has always existed. There is no start. There is no beginning. 
There is no, like just, you just go back and infinitely, infinitely, infinitely God is. I can't conceive of that because I am a being with a start. God is not. Now the Bible tells us the first words of the Bible in Genesis, verse 1, chapter 1, is in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That was the beginning of everything we know. The earth, the stars, the moon. Last night we had the telescope out. We were looking at Jupiter. We were looking at Saturn. All that we know, it began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That is the beginning of everything we know. But it's not the beginning of God. God had no beginning. So the Bible had to have a starting place, so it began with us. And it just has God there. God has no beginning. God has no ending. From everlasting to everlasting. Not you are, were God or you will be God. You are God. You are God. God is the ultimate cause of all things. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything, but everything needs God. To live forever, to be everlasting in both directions, and I'm talking as a human, I'm not sure that there are directions in God's infiniteness, and in fact, I'm pretty sure there are not. But speaking anthropomorph, uh, forget it, speaking as, as a person, uh, <laughs> uh, God is existent forever in both directions, which means He has self-replenishing energy, power, life. All that God is is constantly replenished. And He doesn't need anyone or anything to replenish that life, that energy, that power. It's constant. It's always there. Always. God does not get old. He doesn't get frail. He doesn't get hungry. He doesn't get tired. He is always full of bursting, infinite power, energy, life, and nothing feeds into that. Everything comes out of it. We all draw our life. You breathe the next breath at the pleasure of God. The universe is held together every moment by the power of God. If He were to say stop, it would all fly apart. And yet, holding this universe together, holding all this together, bringing life to every single thing that has life, it doesn't replenish Him one bit. Not one iota. We cannot fathom the everlasting, infinite person of God. We aren't like that. We need constant replenishing. We are beings with a beginning and with an end. We are bookended by birth and by death on this earth. We have a beginning. We have an end. We constantly have to replenish what little energy we have. By the end of this sermon, you're going to be thinking about lunch. Some of you already are. And here's the thing. I mean, there is no meal on earth that you can eat and say, that's it, I'm done. 
I'm satisfied. I'll never have to eat again. You're going to eat lunch. I'm going to eat lunch. Some of us by 3 o'clock are going to be eating a snack. And then we're going to eat dinner. And then at the end of the day, what do we do? We put our heads down on a pillow and we recharge our batteries by sleeping. And then we get up and we do it again. We replenish. We need constant replenishing for the energy we have. God does not have to eat or drink. He never sleeps. I mean, picture, imagine that forever and ever constantly awake. Never sleeping. His energy is constantly always at work. God is everlasting. And we are, Psalm 90 puts it, like dust. We return to dust. We are made from dust. We return to dust. And that brings us to the biggest reminder of our smallness. Death. Death is just a reminder God made us from dust in what might seem like a long time to us, but is actually a very short period of time. We return to dust. He likens it to the grass that's fresh and new in the morning and withered by the end of the day. There is a, there is a creature called a mayfly that has a 24-hour lifespan. That's it. It's born, and in one day it's lived its entire life. Psalm 90 likens us to that. We start out young, young grass, green, vibrant, full of, we think we got all this time, and in 24 hours, so to speak, we, we begin to frail out, we begin to tire out, we begin to age out, and then we return to dust. And we leave this earth. Remembering that God is everlasting and that we are dust positions our heart in a humble place to get a heart of wisdom. Number two, numbering our days teaches us to shelter in the everlasting God. Verse 7, this is where that psalm, this psalm gets a little, a little harsh. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath? according to the fear of you. There is a heaviness, there is a harshness to these verses. And I believe what it's describing for us, I believe this gives us, again, the big picture. This is not just trying to say to you, you're living under God's wrath and everything's bad and all this heaviness on you or on me. I think this is Moses' way of describing the human condition in a fallen world. This is God's curse over the world since Adam and Eve sinned. 
as beautiful as this earth is, we know there is a curse hanging over it. There is a deep ugliness as well. There's a wonderful beauty to the world, which is a, a remainder of God's original good creation. There is a beautiful, beautiful beauty to this world. But there is also a deep ugliness to the world. There is a darkness that hangs over it. And that darkness, that ugliness, is the result of the curse of God over the earth and over mankind because of sin. And so we live our lives under God's general curse. We are born sinners and we contribute to the sin that God has cursed. We contribute to the sin that makes up the sin of this darkened world that God has cursed. And God sees our sin, even the ones that we try to hide so deeply. The secret sins, God sees those. They are as exposed to Him as anything in pure daylight. They are just there. There's no hiding those sins from God. And God hates our sin with a ferocity we cannot imagine. And because of that, this life is, in general, a life of burden and sadness. It's limited to 70 or 80 years. Now, if you're 70 years old, don't be thinking, uh, you know, don't let that discourage you. I think he's trying to generalize. You could also go to 90. You could go to 100. But we are not going to get a whole lot higher than that, right? Our lives are limited. And while we're here, there is trouble. There is heartache. There is sadness. There's beauty, too. There's love. There's all these good things. We'll get to that. But there is trouble. There is heartache. I don't know about you, but my heart's been heavy this week. It's getting lighter. But it's been heavy this week. There is sighing. What is a sigh? It talks about life in trouble and just every day being troubled and then we pass away with a sigh. A sigh is like, ah. We've all experienced sighs of the soul. It's just, there's not even words. It's just a heaviness and a heartache, a sadness, a grief, a loss, whatever. It's, oh, sickness. Illness that doesn't go away. Someone we love that's gone in a bad direction or their life is in, in a time of trouble and we just hurt. And we ache. And we sigh. And this is not what God originally created this world to be. This is a consequence of the fall. Now, it's interesting that this passage says, who considers the power of your anger, verse 11, and your wrath, but it doesn't stop there, according to the fear of you. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. It is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord injects something into this troubled scenario that changes our perspective on it. And I think what we find is an important key is in verse 1 where it says that the Lord has been our dwelling place, our refuge, our shelter in all generations. Numbering our days teaches us to shelter 
our lives. Understanding the power and the anger and the wrath of God teaches us to shelter ourselves in the Lord as our refuge not just from troubles, not just from trials, not just from heartache, but from God, from His anger, from His wrath for our sins, which are, again, God hates our sin. He hates your sin. He hates my sin with a ferocity we cannot even imagine. And that anger is like a fire burning in low grade right now in the curse, and one day He will completely consume in judgment the fire of His wrath, there is only one shelter that is safe from the wrath of God, and that is God Himself. Firefighters will sometimes use a method to stop a, a, a fire, the progression of a forest fire, through a technique called backburning. They will burn a section of ground with a controlled burn in order to burn up the fuel so that when the forest fire arrives at this area of scorched earth, there's no fuel left for it to consume. There's no fuel for it to feed on and therefore proceed that scorched earth stops the out-of-control fire. Jesus is our scorched earth. Jesus is our scorched earth. On the cross, He took the fire and the anger and the wrath of God for our sins. He took it upon Himself as God poured it all out upon Jesus. He became that scorched earth so that all those who take refuge in Christ... You see how many times the New Testament speaks about being in Christ. In Christ. Our life is hidden in Christ. He is our refuge. And as we are in Christ, we are safe, completely safe, from the fire of God's wrath and anger. Isn't that good news? And listen, that does not mean that we walk around with nothing but blessing and goodness and, and all great things happening. Trouble still touches our lives. Sadness still touches our lives. Heartache. All those things. But, two things. One, the wrath of God will never touch our lives. Ever. And number two, we do not live under God's curse. Even though we live in a cursed environment, we live as blessings to be lights to others. We live under the blessing of God. In Christ Jesus, all the blessings and the riches of Christ are ours so that we don't live under a curse anymore. We live under a blessing. We belong to Christ and His blessings are our blessings. His life, our life. And when we do stand on the knife's edge between life and death, as our brother Mike has just this week, and one day we all will, when we stand on that knife's edge between this life and death, we do not teeter on the, on the edge of life and death. We teeter on the edge of life and a better life. Eternal life. Eternal joy. 
No more in a sigh-filled world, but in the presence of God and our Savior who loves us so much. Christ is our shelter. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we, that Jesus might be our shelter. And I just want to say, if someone has not made Jesus their shelter, I encourage you to do that and not wait. And not wait. Because our lives are so frail. And now's the time. Jesus offers Himself as our shelter from God's wrath. And, and not just the shelter from God's wrath, but as we become, as we come into the refuge, into the sheltering of God, we come under His wings of love, grace, mercy, protection, and care. So I urge you to do that today if you haven't done so already. The last point I want to share is number of our days teaches us to depend on our everlasting God. Moses lays out this hard world we live in. Trouble, sighs, brokenness, God's wrath. Because of all this, in verse 12, Moses goes on to say, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And then I think he begins to lay out a sense of dependency on God. We need God. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord. How long? How long, God? This is a man crying out for the mercies of God. Have pity on your servants. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the cry of someone saying, God, I need you. We are in trouble. We need you, God. How long? Return. Have pity. This is the cry of someone whose heart is in a place where I know I need you, God. Satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. The person who prays that is someone whose heart's not satisfied. God, my heart's not satisfied. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Help us wake up and know the love of God. Satisfy us with that steadfast love. To know as we wake up, your love isn't going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Whatever this day holds, your love is steadfast today. Satisfy us with that knowledge. When I read this, I don't, I don't personally get the sense that Moses is asking to wake up and just be slammed with so many incredible external blessings that he can't help but be satisfied. I get a quieter picture. of someone who wakes up and the tender mercies of God stir in their heart and they become aware 
in the little things of the steadfast love of God. The little things. Help me see your love. Help me see your goodness in the little things that surround me. A beautiful sunrise. The health of our bodies for yet another day. Help us treasure time with loved ones. Help us treasure the times of laughter and even the times of tears with loved ones. In a hard, in a weary world, satisfy us with quiet evidences of your steadfast love. And Moses says, let that love reroute my life away from the sadness and heaviness towards gladness and hopefulness. Let us see your work and your power and be glad. God, we want to see your work in our midst. Is that the cry of your heart? Is that the cry of your heart? God, we want to see your work. We want to see what you can do. But it doesn't stop there. Moses in verse 17 asked for one more thing. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. <clears throat> I think a, a heart of wisdom needs to understand that we need a purpose for living. We need a work that lasts. We need to give our lives to something that means something. Establish the work of our hands. Let it not be something that blows away in the wind. It has no meaning at all. Let it be established. Let it mean something. Let it count in a bigger way. And this is still Moses the crying out dependency. We need you, God. We need you for pity. We need you to satisfy us. We need your, your love, your steadfast love. We need to see your work and your power and we need you to establish our work. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants is closely linked to verse 17, establish the work of our hands. Let your work be shown, establish our work, God. We depend on your work to establish our work. God has a work for us to do. God wants us to invest our lives in a work that will last forever. We need God's work to do that, and we need to work to do that. Establish the work of our hands. We were created, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You hear the interplay, the interaction. God working, God created us for these good works. God has prepared these good works. We were created to do those good works. I want to share, uh, just in closing, a story. <clears throat> Actually, just a little post from our friend Aaron Osborne. Uh, he has spent the last month in Bolivia and he recently posted about a seven-year-old boy he met there named Logan. And Logan can't go to school because his family depends on him to sell Kleenex and gum just to help them make ends meet. 
And over the last month, Aaron has made a connection with Logan. And, and as he gets ready to leave Bolivia, he wrote these words. And they, they spoke to my heart something deeper than this situation. I hope they do to yours as well. He writes this. <clears throat> I'm going to miss Logan. I don't want to even think about him looking for me, and I'm not there. His hugs make it clear. It isn't about getting some Bolivianos from me. His affection is genuine. He wants, listen to this, he wants security in a very insecure world. He wants stability where there's little to be found in his life. Lots to ponder. I'll just say this. Religion that is pure and undefiled is to do what you can for those who can't. So do it. Good encouragement. So do it. As he works, we work. As we work, he works. So do it. So do it. God's got a work for us to do. He's got lives for us to touch. He's got Logans for us to connect with. And He's given us a beautiful Savior for us to share with those who are looking for security in an insecure world. We can do the work of sharing the steadfast love, that stability, that security with those who don't know him. A coworker, a friend, a neighbor, even a person you just meet on the street to share the love of Christ. And not just with words. It needs words, but not just with words, but with actions. To show people we care about them, about their lives, about their situation. To connect with them. So, let's do it. I want to just ask uh, the band to come back up as we close in prayer. Last Sunday, as I finished the message, uh, and stepped down, uh, the first person I talked to was Mike. And he came up and we chatted for quite a few minutes. See, they'd been gone for over a month visiting family. And a day later, he has a very serious head, heart attack and his life is on that razor's edge. And it reminds me how frail and fragile our lives are. And yet... And yet, in a bigger way, not frail and fragile at all, our lives are in the hands of the Lord. And we can trust Him in all circumstances. Our lives belong to Him. And I <clears throat> asked Patrick if we could close with a hymn that says, Man, when peace is flowing like a river in my life, 
And when sea billows are rolling and the sea is troubled and I feel at lost at sea, whatever my lot, I can say it is well with my soul. That's the big picture. That's the big picture for those who are in Christ. That's a big picture for Mike and Terry. I love their rock-solid faith. That's a big picture for all of us who are trusting in Christ. And as we go, we want to share that big picture with those that don't know Him so that they can also sing, It is well with my soul.